What's up, everybody? It's your girl, Coach Leah. I just wanted to take a moment to thank you for tuning into this episode, and I hope you're enjoying the show. I wanted to create a place where women could come together to connect and to inspire, encourage, and support one another. I'm proud to announce that we've created a community where we can do just that. The Locker Room with Coach Leah is a place of preparation where we get you ready for the big game of life. We talk about the real issues we face and empower one another to support our loved ones through PTSD without losing ourselves in the process. You'll find encouraging messages, helpful tools and resources, and have access to upcoming events, group challenges, and masterclasses. You can also let your voice be heard on the podcast after show page where we discuss the episode topic and you can give your opinion, ask a question, share your story or give us future show ideas. We want to hear from you. There is power in community. We have a wealth of knowledge as we share our experiences and use them to build each other up. So after you like and subscribe to the podcast, be sure to click the link in the show notes and join the locker room to be encouraged, be empowered, and be blessed. Peace, y'all. Have you checked out the PTSD Wives Handbook? This book is for the wife whose spouse has survived trauma and is now navigating through mood swings, flashbacks, and mishandled emotions. PTSD can create a toxic home environment and cause a divide in the closest and most meaningful relationships. As a caretaker, the PTSD wife is finding herself at the receiving end of anger, aggression, and constant negativity. This can create a personal, mental, and spiritual health crisis for her. In this book, Coach Leah uncovers the hidden wounds of trauma and the effects that it can have on your relationship. Based on biblical principles, she teaches you the tools and resources that are needed to handle stressful situations and to seek help from the Lord and foster a deeper relationship with Him. By reading this book and putting the principles into action, you're going to learn how to take control of your life and grab hold of the power that lies within. Grab your copy of the PTSD Wives Handbook today by clicking the link in the show notes. Now, back to the show. How to support a loved one behind bars. Come on in, let's talk about it. My name is Leah Huggins. I'm a wife, a mother, and a proud U.S. Navy veteran. After two tours to Iraq, my husband was diagnosed with PTSD. My world spiraled out of control as fear, anxiety, doubt, and depression took over. I gave my life to Christ, took on a new mindset, and let go of the negativity of my past. I now help wives to find healing, encouragement, and strategy to overcome the effects of PTSD on their daily lives and in their marriage. So come on in and let's talk about it. Welcome to Marriage, Motherhood, and PTSD. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Marriage, Motherhood, and PTSD. This is the place where we empower women to support their spouse and each other through PTSD without losing themselves in the process. I'm your host, Coach Leah, and I'm so glad that you joined us today. All right, you guys, we have a powerful show today with an amazing panel of women. I am so anxious and I just want to get right into it. All right. <laughs> so today we're going to be talking about how to support a loved one behind bars. As I said, we have a panel of amazing women. So let me go on and I'm going to introduce them. 
So first of all, we have a woman that is no stranger to the show. Okay. She was one of our first guests last season, and she did an amazing interview about her life and her walk with God. She's a native of Gulfport, Mississippi, a mother of one son, and she's an ordained evangelist. And she resides in Hawaii, where she works for the U.S. Army. She ministers to youth, encouraging them to stay in school. And she also works in prison ministry where she empowers women to find themselves and live beyond their mistakes. Let's give a warm welcome to Sheila Sullivan. Yay. <laughs> Yay. All right. Next up, we have another amazing woman. Uh, I've known this sister, I believe, for about 10 years now. It has to be at least 10 years. Um, she's quiet, but she is powerful, okay? Don't let that quiet fool you. She was born and raised in Biloxi, Mississippi. She is a wife of 13 years, and she has four beautiful girls, ages 18, 12, 5, and 1. She is the Allied Health Program Director at a technical college where she oversees three programs and supervises 10 instructors. On top of all of that, she is a certified CPR instructor and she travels to various corporate jobs ensuring that their staff becomes and remains CPR certified. Let's give it up, y'all, for Miss Devin Woods. Yay! Hey. <laughs> and finally, you guys are in for a treat. I met this woman at a going away dinner party for Sheila. And somehow the conversation turned to purpose. And when I tell y'all, when I heard this woman's story and her testimony of how God turned her pain into her purpose, I knew that I had to have her on the show. She hails from Gulfport, Mississippi, and she's a mother and a grandmother and a great grandmother. She's a minister and she has been in prison ministry for over 30 years. And she's seen what it's like on the other side. You all help me welcome to the show, Miss Frankie Pruitt. Yay! Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Ladies, I just want to thank you all for being on the show today. All right. So we have a good topic tonight. As I said, we're going to talk about supporting a loved one behind bars. And I consider all of my guests today an expert on this subject. Um, I knew that each one of them would bring their own unique perspective. And it was a no brainer for me to have them on tonight. Once you hear from each one of them, you'll see why this was the dream team for this episode. All right. So let's go on and get started. So as you guys know, my show is about supporting your spouse or your loved one through PTSD. Um, and I think that a lot of people, when they hear PTSD, they automatically connect that with military service. Um, now, I've said on the show numerous times before that life itself can give you PTSD. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. <laughs> the old folks say, just keep on living. <laughs> but I think uh, one of the most underserved populations when it comes to dealing with PTSD is the prison population and their families. Um, I don't think we talk as much about it because of the negative stigma uh, that's attached to it. Um, in my nine to five job, I see the public daily. You know, I see all kind of people. Um, a lot of times I encounter people that have been recently released from prison. And when I tell you the stories that I've heard, the struggles that I, I see that they face, um, even doing their time and paying their debt to society, you know, the struggles that they have to go through to get back on their feet. It's it's hard. 
So I wanted to go back. Let me go back. I want to give you ladies each the chance to introduce yourself to the audience and tell them a little bit about your connection to the prison system. Um, I feel that each one of you represents a woman in the audience that's listening. Um, Sheila is a mother of someone that was of uh, someone that's in the system. Devin is a wife of someone that made it out of the system. And Frankie was in the system. And then she was able to turn her experience into her ministry. Um, so Sheila, can you tell me a little bit about your experience with your son? Uh, my experience with my son started very early in his teenage years. And um, it and he stayed uh, connected to the penal system for some time. He is currently incarcerated. Uh, what happened with him is that basically got with the wrong crowd, start making the wrong decisions. And a lot of things started started when he was a teenager, uh, uh, being introduced with uh, older guys um, out in this, the community. Uh, he didn't have an active father in his life. I believe that was a that was a big part of it. Yeah. Uh, uh, history tends to repeat itself. My son's father was in prison. So while he was in prison all that time he was growing up, he did not have a male figure in his life that would, you know, that could so into his life. And um, I don't make any excuses for my son. I just know that the decisions and the people that he connected up with, they did not help him or point him in the right direction. And so it was just easy to get caught up in the streets because the money was easy. The opportunities were there. Uh, you had people uh, encouraging, encouraging you to do wrong. And they also supported his wrongdoing. Now, while he was at home with me, that those things were not happening. But it was when he connected up with his uh, biological family that um, that these things started happening for him in his life, just start going in a negative direction. Uh, it was uh, my intent for him to, just like any other parent, uh, I had I hopes that he would finish high school, go to college, uh, be a football player, basketball player, or whatever his uh, desire was, because I was going to be that parent that would support. Yeah. Uh, but it did not turn out that way. And so uh, it really is very important who you allow to be around your children. And sometimes uh, the family is not the most positive. So, Devin, you are what I call the definition of standing by your man. OK, um, can you tell me a little bit about what your experience was like as a wife of someone in the system? Um, the experience um, was, of course, um, a difficult experience. You know, um, I always feel and I've also stated that not only does the individual themselves do the time, but the family that is standing by them and the family that they have left here um, out um, in population, as they call it, um, also does the time. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not an easy thing, you know, especially mm -hmm. being um, a mother, you know, who wants their father, the children of the father of their children, the children there, you know, and having to take care of everything as far as the household, the children, and also making sure that your loved one that is locked up is okay. Right. Because that is that is a, an extra um, burden. And that's something that you have to ensure that you want to make sure that they're also comfortable. Right. And so it's not an easy task at all, you know, um, but um, it can be done, you yeah. know, as a as a woman who or a wife um, 
who has had a husband incarcerated, you know, and I think if you have supportive family, that definitely helps as well. And that helped me um, through the the years that I had to spend away from my husband, mm-hmm. you know, having supportive family around. That's good. That's good. All right, Miss Frankie, can you tell the people a little bit about yourself and your experience in the system? Um, before Frankie gets started, now, Frankie, we're having some technical difficulties. So if y'all see me holding the phone up <laughs> so, she, so we can hear her, we want her to be heard. We can see her. We just couldn't get it together. But uh, we, God will make a way. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so Miss Frankie, tell me a little bit about yourself and, and what was your experience in the system? Okay. Well, I'm Frankie Pruitt. Um, And my experience in the system, I know for a fact that PTSD is real. I was not diagnosed with it at the time, but now I know that that's what happened. But I had a traumatic uh, experience uh, in my life. I I, uh, grew up thinking about the fairy tale, the husband, the wife, the car, the children, the jobs, and you know, you live happily ever after. So it didn't work out like that for me. And um, I lost my way. I lost my zeal for life. Um, I I just lost everything. I lost my esteem, my hope, my dreams. And so I ended up uh, behind bars. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Amen. And... um, yeah, I ended up behind bars, but I tell you what, God is real. Yes. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or think. Mm-hmm. He is the potter. We are the clay. We can be made another again. So in that experience, um, it was one. It was a wonderful experience for me. It it gave me my life back. Wow! And uh, I was able to come up and out, up out the pit into that glorious, marvelous life that God has for us. And that's what I share with the ladies in jail that um, they're beautifully and wonderfully made. That they can do. Uh, if God be for you, who can be against you? Mm-hmm. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon thee. Mm-hmm. So I give them what I got. I share, I pour out what was poured in. I love that. That is beautiful. I, I, you all touched on everything that we're going to be talking about today. So I'm really excited about that. Um, so as I said, um, Definitely, Devin, um, you had mentioned the fact that everybody serves. And that was actually my next point. Um, you know, I definitely believe that a lot. It's it's a lot like the military. I mean, you, you can't compare the two, but I see some similarities. It's a lot like in the military when you have a family member that goes on deployment um, and it's like the whole house is on deployment. You know, we're all feeling the effects of them being gone, you know, and in my mind, I'm thinking that it's kind of, you know, the same thing. Everyone is serving time when there's someone that's away. Um, jail definitely takes time away from families. You know, I heard one lady 
she described it as she was grieving what was still living, you know, because you can't be with them. You can't see them when you want to, you know, you miss time. There's no pictures on Christmas or, you know, special holidays or special occasion, you know, and, and having a loved one on the inside, as you said, Damon, it takes away from those that are on the outside. You know, you're actually taking someone away from those who are on the out on the outside as well, you know, um, so what do you guys feel is the hardest part about having a loved one on the inside? I can answer that. Um, the hardest part about having a, a loved one on the inside is that time, the time that they're doing also is the time that you're doing mm-hmm. and not being able to, you know, not being able to contact them when you want to. Is, there's no the freedom has been taken, Yeah, that freedom to contact them. Uh, Devin had made reference to making sure your loved one is comfortable. Yeah. Uh, it is a lot of people don't understand that when an individual goes to jail or to prison, that it is their family that has to support them. If they don't have any finances coming to the prison by way of, um, um, by way of, uh, Western Union, um, by whatever method that they are to receive finances, mm-hmm. they're at the, they're at the will of someone else. And, and, we don't know everything that transpires uh, behind the bars right. uh, when a person has to bargain for food, because a lot of times they don't have the food that they would like to have the resources to get the foods that they like. But if the family member is helping to support them, they're able to get extra food. Uh, we have as, as even going into the jail ourselves. We have seen some of the meals that they eat and it's not very inviting uh, that's one of the hard, uh, that's one of the hardest parts too. And also the, the thought process of your loved one not coming out of jail or out of prison, them getting killed, getting shanked or, or, or jumped on or even raped. Yeah. There's so many things that happen behind bars that we have not, um, act- that we ourselves may not have experienced or even been told, but we are not ignorant that those things are happening. Uh, behind those bars. So um, you can live with a fear uh, of that person dying and you not getting the, you know, not being able to ever see them again. Right. And so that that was one of the hardest parts for me is that I that was the will to for myself to to make sure that when I visited my son, that I gave him positive words, that I yeah. gave him encouragement that he would um, not, not only was I praying, thank God for, for being in my life, because every visit that was made, it was made by my, by me. Mm-hmm. There was no support. There was no sisters or brothers going with me. There was a Devin. She had support. I didn't have anybody uh, putting money in my hand and saying, you know, bless your son or, or anything of that nature. It was God that made a way for me to at every time my son needed something to eat. It was God made a way that I had extra money or I sacrificed or I had the uh, money for gas. So the, it's, it's really, it is, it can be, I um, was friends with a young lady and she told me that when her son got sentenced to prison, that she had a, she actually had a stroke because that was so much. She had was so over worried or overburdened about what was happening to him. And the challenge is for the loved ones that are left on the outside, it is for us to stay together. Absolutely. And if it was not for the word of God, I never would have made it. 
Yeah. I never would have made it and because, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Um, I was going to say that kind of leads to, you know, um, the next question where I was asking, uh, how were you all able to cope, you know, or adjust to life without having them there? And for you, Frankie, I would want to know, how was it adjusting to life, having to leave your family behind? Well, it, it was... Um... I had been separated from my family at the time. Like I said, I went through some some real trauma, some real separation. And uh, so I was separated. I, I was like out in the wilderness, actually. Yeah. And like at times they didn't know where I was or uh, what I was doing. Or uh, we were in another state. We were separated. So. I was able to reconnect with my mother um, when I got in there, and she she was very supportive. And then when I got out, I was able to reconnect with my children. Mm. But um, but it was like I was in a wilderness. It was a wilderness experience, actually, mm. and um, and with no family, no friends. Um, it was just it was just me in a barren land. Wow. Wow. Devin, how did you adjust to, you know, life without him? I think what um, helped me out a lot was just uh, mostly the children, you know, had to keep going um, and keep pushing for the kids, you know, because um, I did have the the babies at that time. Yeah. And um, I think that helped, you know, getting How up on they? the world. Um, Hmm. The uh, oldest at the time was about seven. Okay. Um, and then um, my second born at the time was actually um, still in my stomach. Mm-hmm. And um, I had her um, while he was incarcerated. Yeah, yeah. And um, I think when he finally came home, my the the baby that I was pregnant with was then um three. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so you know, you know, um, just just keep going for them. You know, the work work life and coming home and taking care of the children. That's what that's what kept me going and and motivated and and encouraged me that I had to go on. Right. Right. So, um, Sheila, as a mom, you know, I, I can imagine um, maybe that there was a struggle with guilt. I, my kids do stuff all the time. And then they, it makes me say, man, what did I do wrong? Why did you, what's wrong with you? But <laughs> as a mom, um, did you struggle with guilt? And if you did, how did it show up in your life? And what ways did you deal with that? Well, absolutely. Absolutely. We are our own. Um, worst critics. Right. I did struggle with guilt. I did struggle with um, what could I have done better? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because at the time, um, and I'm learning, uh, I learned from that experience with him being a um, child, you know, being with me as a child and then leaving me because my son left me at the age of 14 years old. Um, The guilt that I the guilt that I experienced was uh, during that time frame uh, at the age of 23, when I gave my life to Christ, my son was like six years old. So when I gave my life to Christ, I was all in. I mean, I was a diehard 
Christian. I, uh, I had a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. And I, I, I explained that, mm-hmm. that I was still gaining wisdom as a young parent. I was a parent, but I didn't have the wisdom that went along with that. Yeah. And so um, my thing was, if I just keep him in church, then that's going to be it. That'll be my saving grace. Right. Everything's going to be all right. I'm in church. He's in church with me, Yeah, you know, and so, but still yet understanding that as we, uh, and this is a uh, the terminology I'll use, is that uh, that generational curse was still active uh, in his life in that also that the streets was basically calling him uh, with the behaviors of other people and influence too. And so for me, I felt guilty a lot that that maybe I could have did something different. And it took it took the word of God. And I, I thank God for I, I even though I was um, at the church, it took God's word to help me to understand that I was up under no condemnation. And I will add this caveat to that, that there were people, people can make you feel like you did something wrong by what your child, when your child mess up, they look at you and say, evidently, you must have did something wrong or you're reaping something uh, that you've done wrong. And so not having that, um, and I, I can truly say I did not have a lot of positive input. I had some input and that carried a lot of weight. And I thank God for that. But having a church family and being part of a church family, that really helped me to keep going. And then knowing I learned my role as a mother, what I was, uh, what God had, you know, had had, um, mandated for me to do. The only thing I could do for my child was to pray for him, uh, forgive him and encourage him. Uh, But of course, again, like I said, it didn't stop me from feeling guilty about what he did or either other people trying to make me feel guilty about what had happened to my child. Gotcha. Gotcha. Frankie, how was it um, on the inside? I, I would, I would assume that, you know, of course there's a lot of time to think and, you know, how, how was it dealing with shame or guilt or was that an issue? Um, do you find many people struggle with that inside? Uh, yes, because um, basically we're all disappointed that we're there. Yeah. Uh, something went wrong somewhere. Mm-hmm. So we all have that in common. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know I was on a cloud of guilt uh, because of the trauma that I had gone through. Yeah. So I left my children and that just was like uh, a heavy weight that I was caring and so many people that are uh, so many girls that are separated in there from their families. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, the facility I was in was a very supportive facility. I call it jail heaven. When I talk about it to the girls, <laughs> in jail, jail heaven. I say, Oh God, put me in jail heaven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I knew it was jail heaven. That's it. <laughs> So I was in jail heaven. We had church six days a week. Don't check. They they didn't have church was uh, on. I was in the Bible Belt. So the only day they didn't have church was Saturday. Okay. So they would. uh, So we had a very supportive system and uh, we all encouraged one another and like church groups would come in and everything. But 
But we had to deal with a trauma that was on the inside of us. Yeah. We had to work through the trauma on the inside of you. God had to purge you and come in and, you know, he said, you are, you are clean by the word that I've spoken Mm -hmm. to you. Mm -hmm. So we had to come in and do a work. He said, wash you, make you clean, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So he comes in and if, if we're receptive, if we receive, then we can deal with what we got going on because mm-hmm. he's going to help us deal with the issue that we that got us there. Absolutely. Everybody coming in with an issue. Yeah. Like I told them, like the woman with the issue of blood. Yeah. We all got one. We all got one. Everybody. <laughs> you know? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. And it's a spiritual issue, and that's the reason why we're here. Got it. Got you it. Know, that's we came good. in with We came in with the packing that issue. Yep, that's no. it. No. Everybody got issues. Some of us, you know, didn't didn't end up in jail, but that doesn't make us any better. You know, right. It, right. we all have issues. Yeah. Absolutely. We have that issue. So we all come in with that issue. Yes, ma'am. And we, we have to deal with that issue, allow the Lord to uh, work a work. That's it. That's it. So, Devin, um, what kind of challenges did you face as a couple uh, with him being inside? Or what did you do? How how did you keep the marriage alive? I guess that's a better question. How did you keep the marriage alive uh, during that time? Um, communication was key. Always keeping in contact. You know, um, yeah. we always talked over the phone. Of course, um, that became expensive, but that's something that we we had to do. You know, yeah. um, talk on the phone, and um, of course, we would write letters, and then yeah. I definitely go see him on a regular basis um i try to make most visits um and that that helped us you know um when we were on the phone we really didn't talk about sad times we laughed we communicated as if we were you know if he was home you know and um one thing i can say we've always been friends and so we were able to maintain a friendship along with being in love (laughs) (laughs) yes i see that with y'all being friends that's a beautiful thing that's that's the key to any relationship that communication and that uh intimacy with each other not just on a sexual level but you know um as friends that intimacy right i love that that's beautiful um now sheila you talked about this for a moment but um Devin, I definitely want to ask about this. Um, I wanted to talk for a minute about the financial impact of having a spouse that's incarcerated. Um, I would imagine that a lot of the financial burden was on you. Um, so how did you get through that, Devin? Um, what, what was something? You know, as I look back now, I don't know. It it had to be nothing but God, (laughs) you know, um, because in this day and time, everybody needs two incomes. Yeah. And um, and more than that, you know. So when I look back at it now, I really don't know how. But, you know, my household never went without and I I tried to do what I could to make sure he did not go without. Not for a long period of time. And so, um, you know, of course, I worked a full time job, but that was my only income um but it 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 all worked out so like I said I I can't even put into words how I made it work but what we did we made it work it worked it worked Mm -hmm. so do they have programs or something that helps family with the financial burden or anything like that 
No, ma'am. not that I'm aware. <laughs> no, okay, no. okay. Um, so outside of any financial programs, are there any programs that are out there that help families with you know different aspects of having a loved one behind bars? So I know, like the jail ministries, you all have that, but is there something that the government offers um, to them? Well, in actuality, each facility is different, and each facility offers. Uh, one facility, like Frankie stated, it was uh, jail heaven. But then uh, if your loved one is in another facility and it's all according to where it's located, they yeah. could be easily 23 hours locked down, one hour out to get sun. Wow. Easily. But there are no, there are, there may be some support groups, but yeah. I was never connected to any of them. Uh, but there are no federal programs that help the families with finances. Uh, again, everything comes from the family. Right. Um, there are no, um, uh, sometimes there are ministries that would help, uh, ministries. Now I will say what is, what is connected to the, uh, penal system is the, uh, the angel tree during okay. Christmas. They will come to the inmate. They will ask the inmate, how many children do you have? And then that inmate will tell them how many and where they're located. And then that they'll contact their children and, um, give them gifts. So I do know that that happens around Christmas time. Uh, any other opportunities uh, uh, for things that happen, I don't know anything about. Um, no, I have not um, witnessed anything. And other than the Harrison County Jail, having the jail ministry, yeah. um, that's, that's the only thing I know that's there. But they do have other programs at the Harrison County Jail Ministry because they do minister to the women and give them personal items. Uh, but at other facilities that I've gone to, and I've gone to several. <laughs> Trust me, yeah. I've gone to several. They there was no, there was not a lot of support. No, next to no, next to none yeah. support. I would say. Yeah, Frankie, do you know of any? Uh, no, yeah. I um, like Sheila said, like during uh, Christmas time, um, different ministries, um, like where I was, yeah. uh. The only Christmas gift I got that Christmas was from the Chattanooga Prison Ministry. Wow. Wow. And there's something to think about because it goes back to, again, it's the whole family that's suffering. And then it's kind of like a cycle because you you think about, you know, well, now you have more families that are needing assistance. And then that goes into, you know, the the taxpayers and all that stuff. So take care of your people. That's, <laughs> that's my, right. my takeaway. Take care of your people. Um, but, um, okay, I wanted to get into uh, visitation. Um, Devin, what was it like going to see, you know, and, and this is not just Devin, but Devin, I guess you'd be the first one to answer since I said your name. Um, <laughs> but what was it like going to see your family member behind bars? Um, and also, um, did you bring your children? And was there any hesitation behind that? And did they want you to bring the children um, with, with you to see them. Um, I did. I took the, um, the children sometime. Um, I did not take them all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, visitation itself is always hard. Um, mm -hmm. um, it's easier coming than leaving, of yeah. course, you know, um, you're happy and you're excited because you're getting ready to see a loved one that you may have not seen in a mm -hmm. while. 
Right. Um, but it's it's bittersweet because you know you know you have to leave. You can't stay too long. Um, and so I would always try to make it early. Yeah. So you know, give us more time to spend together. Yeah. Um, as far as the children, um, I did take them from time to time. Um, I know that when my second born was younger, um, my husband w- didn't really want her to come as a baby, baby. Yeah, you know, yeah. um, he was concerned about germs and different things like that. And so he wanted her to get a little older. So I remember at one point not bringing her in as an arm baby or a newborn baby. Um, but once she got a little older, she also went um, to see him. But it, it is very hard. You know, of course, they have a very strict policy in coming in, you know, so yeah. you can get there as early as you want. It's going to take you um, up to two hours sometime to get back to the back to see your loved one because you know they have the stripping and um, making sure you're not carrying in anything. And, you know, so sometimes that can be a little bit embarrassing, you know, going through things to that nature. You know, sometimes it all depends on what facility they are there. They are um, housed at because there's sometimes where you have to take off your shoes and take off your socks and, you know, and um, some may be a little bit more stricter than others um, as as far as the, um, the, the coming in process. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's it's not a wonderful experience, but you'll go through anything to see your loved one, <laughs> you know, whatever it takes mm-hmm. to be able to sit down and speak with them and talk to them. Um, I went through visits where I couldn't touch them, you know, and then I went through visits where we were able to touch and hug and sit by each other and things mm-hmm. to that nature. Um, so, you know, you just do whatever you can and you'll go through whatever it, it whatever you need to go through to see your love. Right, right. Sheila, did you, um, I, I know that uh, Fred has children. Um, I know that your son has children. Um, mm-hmm. Did you want to share about that? The kids? Well, I want to, I definitely concur with um, what Devin has just said, that you will go through anything to see your loved ones. Right. A lot of the trips that I made uh, to see, uh, to see my son, um, basically it was um, me. Uh, I did take my granddaughter and my great granddaughter, I think on maybe one or two of them, mm-hmm. but majority of the time I was by myself. And these trips, uh, tend to, like Devin stated before, you have to start out in, you have to start out early in the morning because yeah. it's according to where they're located. If that facility is five or six hours away, uh, one thing you cannot be, and that's late. If yeah. you're late, you won't get a chance to see them. So you will sacrifice and get up early and leave and go there. And it normally takes about a whole day. Uh, you'll stay there with them the five, six, seven hours that they're giving you. And then you will, um, you know, travel back home. And it takes a, about a whole day to in order to uh, endure that whole process. And I can truly say the hardest part is leaving. Uh, the way I went to every facility, I can, uh, you don't laugh at me, but I went with joy. I went in there like, hey, it's family reunion time, son. Right. Let's That's do this right. thing. You uh, <laughs> know, you know, so I always went in there with a smile on my face. I went in with good news, no matter what was going on. I went in there with the intent to leave him better than when I came. That yeah. was that was the key to leave no. him with hope, to let him know he was um, that no matter what was going on on the outside, that he still had that support and to continue to look forward to to coming home. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So what was it like for um, him, uh, for for your son, Sheila, and for your your husband, Devin? What was it like for them as far as parenting behind bars? Um, I, I know it's already a challenge situation. Parenting itself. OK, <laughs> let me just say that. OK, but um, as far as being behind bars, um, how was that for them? I'm sure it was hard, you know. I I'm sure it was very difficult. Um I just I just know that um he wanted to spend a lot of time speaking to him and talking to him over the phone, you know. Um always wanted to know what was going on with schooling and things to that nature. Um I know it was difficult for him to hear things like they were sick or something was going on because there was nothing that he could do, you know, about it, mm -hmm. you know. And so, and, and a lot of times it was difficult for me to have to tell him news that would upset him because he couldn't be here, right. you know. Um, but he, you know, just speaking and talking to them and letting them know that just hearing hearing their voices and vice versa, mm -hmm. you know, is what helped. Um, I know a lot of times when I would receive a letter, there would be a letter in there for them, mm -hmm. you know, cards, yeah. um, Valentine's Day, birthdays, you know, things to that nature. Mm -hmm. So they he did what he could from for, from the distance. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Sheila, did you have something? Uh, I was going to say that's that's it. That is uh, a lot of times they did do the uh, my son did go the extra mile um, in communicating with his daughter and with his granddaughter. And there are so many talented people behind bars. Uh, and even with me, I would get uh, cards, letters, uh, handmade, handmade cards yeah. that uh, with the artistry that was so beautiful mm -hmm. that somebody. Uh, had that gift behind bars that they were utilizing it. Wow. And so um, uh, a lot of times the, the the most important thing was the communication. And I think the most difficult thing for me uh, with my son was to tell him that we lost a family member. That yeah. was my grandmother passed. You know, my mother passed. Yeah. His grandmother. Right. His great grandmother. My mother's mother passed. Wow. Then my uh, mother's um, brother passed. So giving that type of news to them while they're incarcerated, that was those were some of those are some of the most difficult um uh events to um experience and then to have to leave them with what had just happened yeah. and so that's where prayer comes in you pray that they take the information and and just God help them to process it because it's hard for us to process death and we're on the outside so yeah. you can imagine what it's like and I, and I can I can even resonate with him uh, Frederick being a father, Alex being a father, with them being fathers and not being able to get to their children yeah. when their children are hurting, and because we're experiencing it on the outside, so it's um, it, it is, I think someone said it's hard, but it's possible. Yeah, it's possible. Frankie, um, what's the best way to approach a conversation with children, um, and helping them to cope and understand about um what's going on? Well, um, the love aspect of it, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know, your dad loves you, you know, your mom loves you, uh, and you know, they're thinking about, it, they want you to do the best, be the best that you can be. Mm -hmm. And, 
and be encouraged because they're on their way home. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll see them soon. Yeah. You know, because a lot, Um, I've got one girl in there now. Her daughter uh, has cancer and the daughter's in Washington State. Yeah. So she's incarcerated in Harrison County, but he's encouraged by how well the daughter is doing with her treatments and yeah. her illness and, you know. So he's encouraging the daughter to keep going. Right. You know, right. so. Yeah, that's not easy. But yeah, just, just, just the love aspect, you know, love, love covers. That's right. Uh, you know, it's like a quilt, you know, just cover up in. Yeah, you know? yeah. Snuggle up in love, baby. I like that. Snuggle up. I like that. Snuggle up. So, ladies, tell me about your faith walk during this time. Uh, What was the impact of this experience on what you believed and your relationship with God? Hey, Leah, let me, I wanted to add something to what Frankie said about the love aspect. Uh, It is so true in doing jail ministry because I did jail ministry with Frankie. Those women that we met in there, what kept them going was us continually to continually sewing into them and telling them that while you're here, your voice still carries weight with your children. No matter where you are, you are their mother, you're their grandmother. Tell them that you love them. Ask them to, even if they're old enough to understand ask them to forgive you because that's something that I did. I asked my son to forgive me in certain instances where I made wrong decisions in order to bridge the relationship and then and, and, uh, to start a healing process because you don't know what that other person is feeling or even how that other person is thinking. Right. But it was just, uh, so just being able to sew into that, uh, tell that um, female, uh, tell the inmate, your mother, you know, tell your children that you love them, tell them that you're proud of them. Right. And it it makes such a big difference. And, and, and just like you said, the love aspect. And I'm just going to go into what your next question was. It was my love for Jesus Christ. It was my walk with Christ. My son getting in trouble is what helped save my life. Wow. I would not be my greatest title is a holy mother. Wow. I, hey, other people know me as this, you know, Evangelist Sullivan, um, you know, you're a minister of the word, you do this, you do that. You, but my greatest title is a holy mother and being able to get a prayer through for my son. And I'm a living witness that God would talk to a praying mother and father about their children and his, him getting in trouble. It kept me safe. Yeah. It really did because I looked at the fact that God trusted me with a whole individual. I've only been pregnant one time in my life. No mishaps, no near misses, no you all, almost or anything. But at my that, but I, I, I really was so grateful and so honored and so privileged because there are some women that can't even have children. Yeah, you understand. But I was so honored and so privileged that God picked me out of the whole world to be His mother. Yeah, God picked me to be His mother. He got here early, but He was meant to be here. And then to be able to help sustain him because God had to give me the strength. He had to give me the words of encouragement through the preach word, church family, messages, my own personal walk with God. I had to keep that thing on lock 
because yeah. I didn't want my child to die. And I would tell myself every year, my son, we're going to be together. I'm going to see you again, no matter where you at, no matter what's going on. We're not, we won't be separated by death. I, I laid, I, I had great confidence in the prayers that I was praying and talking to God about my whole family because it was just, wasn't just my son that was incarcerated. You got to remember when people are incarcerated, when you go on those visits, you, you kind of establish bonds with other people's families. Yeah. You know, you see this guy, you, you meet his mama, you meet that family. And right. so I didn't just pray for my son. I was praying for every male factor in that prison yeah. and females. So um, for me, it was just a catalyst for me to, to stay saved, to stay delivered, to stay true to the word of God and to walk this life out no matter how hard it was, whether I was with somebody or without. It was, it was, it, it was everything. And I, I, I love my, I appreciate the Lord for choosing me and um, just giving me the strength to do it. Yeah. Give me the strength to do it. I, I honor him and I thank him for it. I'm, I'm proud to be my son's mother. I really am. And I tell my son every time I talk to him, I'm proud of you yeah. because he's developing to a man. You know, God can talk to anybody. Boris does not keep him out of nowhere, you know, and so I'm, I'm, I'm grateful and thankful that um to have this life and to be who God has made me to be. And he's still working on me. Yes. That's it. <laughs> That's work. it. Devin, um, uh, what was your faith walk uh, like during this period? What were some things that you prayed for, you know, for yourself, for him, for the family? Did you pray? Were you in a place where you're mad at God? That's a loaded question. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's a good one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> a real good one. Yeah. Um, because um, I was upset at first, mm -hmm. you know, um, because you see so much. Um, you see others get away with so much. Mm -hmm. And you see others may get lighter sentences mm -hmm. than what your loved one may have gotten. And, and you're, you're questioning and you're um, asking God, why, you know, why, why did this happen to him? Why did he out? <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. why did he have to go That's a good one. Um, and do this, you know? And so I, I questioned it, you know, but of course I've always, um, kind of steered back in the right direction. And I started thanking God that he was still alive because there are so many people that, that, that may not have gotten caught, but got shot at the corner store, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. and things of that nature. So I was just um, blessed to be able to still talk to him, be able to still go see him, you know, and I started thinking and thanking God that, you know, he could have been dead, but he's alive mm -hmm. and he has another chance to, to get it right. And so, um, of course, prayer got me through a lot. Yeah. You know, praying that he stayed safe, mm -hmm. you know, praying that God kept his mind, mm -hmm. praying that, you know, thing, that God kept my mind, yeah. you know, um, kept us kept us as as one, even though we were apart. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Frankie. Um, now, I couldn't wait for this part <laughs> because I, I want you to tell me about. Um, your faith walk and how you went from being on the inside to being released in, in your prison ministry starting. Tell me about that journey. Uh, well, the journey, well, you know, as it says in Romans 8, 28, all things work together for the good of them that love God and are the call mm -hmm. according to his birth. Yes. So, um, I remember, um, Going to jail, 
And the jailer said, ma'am, is there anything I can get you? And I'm like, yes, ma'am. Can you give me a Bible? Yeah. Mm. And I started reading in Proverbs. And when I got to Proverbs 4 and 23, it said, keep thy heart with all diligence because mm-hmm. out of it flow the issues of issues life. Of life. Yeah. And I was in there because of an issue with my heart. Mm. Uh, a broken heart. I and mean, it's not uh, terribly. <laughs> I was responding and I yeah. mean and so that came on like a neon sign and God began to plot a way of my escape wow. from that very scripture that he gave me. Yeah. He began to plot a way of my escape and mm-hmm. I was able to escape. Yeah. I was able to escape um mm-hmm. the confinement, not only confinement behind bars, the confinement in my mind. Yep. And in my heart and yep. in my soul, I was, he freed me. Yeah. So it was, um, he brought me and pulled me through, took me up and out. And I mean, he just, every step of the way. Yeah. He walked me through. Beautiful. Hot, cold. Yeah. He walked me through. He had, he had my hand and he just, he yeah. just step here, step there, yeah. step here, step over there. And, uh, so he brought me through, yeah. and uh, I was uh, I was able to uh, to come out. He said uh, in Ephesians three and twenty, now unto him who is able to do mm. exceedingly abundantly above all I can ask or think, according yes. to the power that worketh in me. Mm-hmm. So he let me know that I had enough. He put enough on the inside of me. Yes, and I'm an overcomer. These are they that overcame. By the blood of the lamb and the words of their testimony. Absolutely. Oh, that's it. I'm ready to shout. Yes. <laughs> that is beautiful. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Um, so I wanted to ask you all now, uh, while you're busy supporting that loved one uh, that's behind bars, who did you have supporting you? Devin, I know you mentioned you had a good family uh, support system. Um so I want to know a couple things. So number one, who, what kind of support did you have during this time or what kind did you need? What were some of the things you found it you needed? What I can't talk. <laughs> what were some of the things that you found you needed the most help with? Um, or what were some of the areas that you needed the most support in? So tell me about who was supporting you. Well, yeah. well like, when I, I was in there, um, my friends, the friends that I made, you know, they would share yeah. and uh, and give to me. And then uh, one time, I didn't want to ask my mom for anything. So one time she called me and said, you got a check here. And I mean, this is out the blue. And yeah. I'm like, a check? <laughs> you know, so money. But that was God because he, he just made it, made it happen. Yeah. You know. So God will open a door. He'll open a window. Yeah. I'll pour you out a blessing. Amen. Amen. Devin, what were you about to say? No, I'm just going to reiterate that, you know, family, you yeah. know, I, I just thank God for the family that I had, both my own family and and as well as my in-laws. Yeah. Um, it, it really helped 
you know, with the yeah. children, with uh, my mindset, you know, and and having someone to not only be there for me um, as far as, you know, uh, helping with the children, but someone to also help me pray, yeah. you know somebody to help me um, get a prayer through because that's, that's what kept me. Um, And I just thank God for that. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Sheila, how about you? Uh, For myself, it was my church family. My church family basically became my family. Everybody's child became my child. Everybody's celebration became my celebration. Every event that took place, I was a part of it. And I think being able to be connected with a community, that's what helped me. Yeah. And uh, the word of God. Uh, so um, I have a natural family. Uh, I, by nature, by natural family, I had my sisters. Uh, they were there for me and, you know, uh, as much as they could be. But for the most part, I spent the most better part of my life in church. Yeah. And so my church family became uh, my support system and in whatever capacity that I needed. Um, had great leaders. And I appreciate that. And the word. Uh, was always rich. And so that's what helped me um, with my walk and my experience with God, because I would hear, I was able to hear prophecies come across the pulpit concerning my son. And I would hold on to those prophecies. And then I would take the prophecy to my son and tell him about it. And then that would give him a life. And so that was a hope. They hope. Something I hope that that and and see that made me unashamed, yeah. which made him unashamed, and it was just a, it was a blessing, uh, when you have a community. That's why we need each other, yeah. Uh, whether in incarceration or not, that's one of the things I love about Jesus. He was so communal. Yeah. He was a he was a people person, right, of all sorts, and so he showed that fellowship in the Bible. And I'm a person I love fellowship. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, because Jesus, Jesus loves it. I love it. So whatever love Jesus loves, I love fellowship. <laughs> you know, and Leo, you know, we like to party. I like a good time now. I'm going to have a good time. <laughs> with you, I'm with you. And so that really helped me to endure some of the hard, hard times and years that my son was gone because he basically was going to have his life. Yeah. 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 So Well, I, I want to shed a little bit of, uh, I guess, light at the end of the tunnel or there's a, you know, rainbow after the storm. Devin, you, um, your husband is home. So tell me what it's like living now and happily ever after. <laughs> it's, it's great. <laughs> you know, um, of course, um, you know, you, it's, it's marriage. So you have to keep working, yeah. you know, even though he's, he is home, of yeah. course, you, you still have to work towards a great marriage and, mm-hmm. and that is work. Um, but, um, things are well, you know, he's home, been home for a while. And yeah. that's a blessing because a lot of times you have some that, that, that unfortunately go bad, you know? And so I'm just so grateful. Mm-hmm. And that once he came home, he stayed home. Yeah. And so we're, we're, we're just living, we're living, raising, raising a family, yeah. working, going Going to church together as a family, that's that's a big thing, you that's know. As I was growing up, my mom took my brother and I to church, yeah. you know. But I thank God that um we take our, our kids to church as a family. Yeah. And so um that's that's a good thing. So we just we just we just live in the life. 
That's it. I'm living my mm. best life. Okay. Right. <laughs> so, uh, Devin and Frankie, I wanted to ask you, um, what is the process or what was the process for getting out and getting reacclimated to society? Like, was it hard to adjust? Um, I know, you know, finding work, things like that. I know sometimes it's not the easiest um, on on both sides. You know, was it hard for you to adjust and was it hard for them to adjust? Um, let me know. <laughs> well, uh, with me, it was like the uh, my confidence level. Um, not not sure. You know, it's like I lost my footing in the world. Yeah. You know, I. I'm, uh, I had been away, so I kind of lost the the feel for what do I do now. Yeah. So I, I put in some applications and I worked a few places, but it was always, I was a little leery about um, things catching up with me, going back, you know, mm-hmm. um, to jail or whatever. But I eventually, when I got in a church and got stable and secure, uh, then I had that confidence to go on into back into the workplace. Yeah. Well, matter of fact, my church gave me a job at the church working. So yeah, they gave me a job at the church working and that helped me to get back into uh, the workforce. Yeah. Yeah. Devin, how was it? Um, with him getting reacclimated, is that the word? Vocabulary. Yes. How was it with him getting back in, uh, in in taking off running with that? It, it was slow, you yeah. know. Um, like uh, I think the word they use is uh, you have to make sure you you come home and you're not institutionalized. Right. <laughs> you know. Right. You wanna, and so it was slow. Um. You know, with 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 things and getting the ball up and running as far as work and things to that nature and finding a job that um was a fit. Yeah. You know? Um. And so it that 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 took a while. Yeah. Um. Finding something that that was a fit and something that that he wanted to stay in and make things work there um and i think a lot of times that may be a mind thing as well you know as far as the things that you may have seen and encountered as being behind bars you know when you get out uh, you 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 you're you want to be free and then you have to get up and make sure you go to a job and you're listening to supervisors and you're clocking in and out and you you know and so that that may be a tough thing i would think yeah. Yeah. And that actually segues perfect into my next question, which was how does one break free from the mentality of being inside? You know, everybody's not able to adjust. And, and you know, like you said, Devin, some people end up back inside. Um, so how what's what's the secret, Frankie? What do you think? What's the secret of uh, breaking that mentality when you get out? Well, you have to really want to be different or yeah. want to change. Yeah. Um, I I met a lady uh, in Harrison County. I guess it's been about twenty five years ago, and uh, she was a trustee at the time. Which you know, have they get to run around the jail a little bit? But uh, okay. she was a trustee inmate worker. But now she has a doctorate. Uh huh. So it depends on your mindset. Yeah. It's, it's what. 
what's in your mind, what's in your heart, you know? So if you've got a mind to do right and go forth, then it's going to happen. There you go. But then then if you, then again, if you get out and you go back to your same old ways and the same old things, then the same old thing is going to happen. You're going to take another lap around that mountain. That's right. That's exactly right. And I've I've run into some girls that I've developed relationships with in jail. Yeah. Because they took another lap and another lap and another lap. Right, right, right. So I'd be like, hey, you bad. Yeah. That's yeah. it. That's it. They didn't have a change of mind or a change of heart. Right. Right. So Will, can I can I add something to oh, that? Oh, yeah. Too? Go ahead. I wanted to add, too, that it along with the mind, it definitely comes with the community. Yeah. It comes with the support. When an individual get um, <clears throat> is incarcerated for any length of time, uh, I asked this question to a person that was incarcerated. And uh, what they told me was what they needed was an opportunity to uh, to defrag, an opportunity to a space or a place, a safe place that they can go and just, um, uh, I would say, have a download or just rest or just be at peace because they've been in a facility around 20, 30, 40. They've, been, they've, they've lived in a community around a lot of noise. Yeah. And so... What they suggested that they needed a place where they could just go to a, a place of peace and quiet yeah. and then kind of be sewn back into and caught up on what's going on in the world. Even when you're incarcerated, they try to keep up with what's going on in the world, but still the world is leaving them behind. Yeah. You think about somebody that got incarcerated in the seventies and they come out in the nineties, you know, cell phones, they don't even know how to operate one. So right. it's a lot of things. Um, the first thing is the mind. I do agree with that. The yeah. other one is an opportunity to be um, to be rehabilitated. They say rehabilitation. Yeah. Uh, they want to rehabilitate the person to come back into society. But in that rehabilitation, it requires a process. You know, some people say, well, just get them to church, go to church. I don't doubt. I don't have no doubt that the church can change a person, yeah. um, um, change an individual as far as the community is concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, however, it's getting that person to, to that mindset, um, them understanding that they need to be changed. Yeah. But I know Jesus changes us all, you know, and, and, and in that it comes with that love, you know, you showing that person the love. I can tell you from personal experience, and I'm sure Miss Woods' husband can attest to this, and she can attest to this too, that as soon as they check that felon box, they could put the application in, they could do the job. They could be strong. They could have the intelligence. But as soon as you check felon and it runs through, okay, we we can't hire you. Wow. Yeah. But but I'm thirty. I'm thirty years old. I'm not trying to work and make three thirty five. Right. I've got the ability. I've got the strength. I want to work. I want to support my family. Yeah. But you have to remember that the, there are resources out there that are that do not work for a felon. Right. Because again. Mississippi is a state where you have to check the box. There are some states that you don't have to check the box. I believe maybe Virginia. Yeah. Some other places up north. But those are some things that are against people that have been incarcerated that work against them being rehabilitated. Yeah. So those are sometimes people forget that that person, they're being 
tried twice. They already served their time and then they're serving time, not being able to get an op piggyback on what she said, that it was a slow process when they should have an opportunity to come out and then go right into that, you know, go right into uh, a society or go right into a position, give an opportunity. Yeah. An opportunity should be made for them. There are not a lot of them. There are not a lot of opportunities for felons. And that is sometimes why they do go back to their old familiar uh, activities, old familiar surroundings, because, of course, we know there is a devil. There is an enemy. Yeah. And he'll offer you free and then take you captive. And I give nobody excuse to break the law because I am a law abiding citizen. Mm-hmm. I give nobody excuses, you know, to break the law. And I give nobody excuses to say that you broke the law and you should get away. No, they have to, they pay for the crime. They do the crime. They pay the time. Yeah. You know, they have to pay the time. But we do um, always have to consider that there are other, um, that there are other things that work against that individual getting back into a place of rehabilitation. The key thing is thank God for the ones that do have supportive families, yeah. you know, uh, or that community. Yeah. Yeah. So. Amen. Amen. Well, um, we're just about finished here, ladies. So I, I want to ask you yeah. a couple more questions. Um, I Again, you know me, I'm a silver lining person. Um, mm-hmm. Was there anything good that came out of the situation? Like what were the lessons you learned? What did you learn about yourself? What did you learn about God? I want to hear from everybody. Let's start with Frankie. Frankie, what what was your your takeaways? Well, I was excited to know uh, my takeaway was I shall not die, but live mm. and declare the works of the Lord. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so I have continued to do that um, over 30. That was in 1988. Yeah. Yeah, that was in 1988. Okay. So I continued to strive and thrive to uh, to do what they said the Lord. That was my takeaway. Yeah. Because he he delivered me from so much. Then I, I owe him my life. Yeah. So, you know, I very well can't say, oh, I, I don't know. Yeah. No, I have not. <laughs> <laughs> right. When he did all that he, he could do. Yeah. You know, to get me on back, you know, to to give me my life back. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that was my takeaway. I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Yes, yes. Devin, what did you learn about yourself? What did you learn about God? And and what was something good that came out of that situation? I think the biggest thing is um, knowing that God was a keeper. You know, Mm -hmm. I think... um, um, it was mentioned earlier how you're you're a uh, one thing that you worry most is that your loved one can will make it out because yeah. there there are ones that um don't make yeah. it out you know things happen right. um so I believe that the biggest takeaway for me was knowing that God was a keeper because my husband was able to make it out all in one piece mm-hmm. you know um and and he killed me. <laughs> 
he kept me as well, you know, kept my mind. I, I know of individuals who didn't, who were not um, strong enough to stand by their, their spouse right. when they were locked up for long periods of time. You know, um, they, they, you know, I've heard stories of, of, of men who lost their wives, you know, because they were not strong enough to stand by their side, you know? And so I, it, it was important to me. And one thing that was, was a takeaway, as you say, was God is a keeper. He kept us yeah. both. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that puts me back in the mind of, uh, we, we say this at church all the time. If it was easy, anybody could do it. <laughs> right. To do, uh, to do that. And that's, that's a beautiful thing that, um, like you say, everybody doesn't make it. Uh, every marriage does not make it. And that's a testimony to yourself um, and, and what an awesome woman you are. So beautiful, beautiful. All right, Sister Sheila. <laughs> um, uh, my takeaway from the situation, uh, should I say, from the beautiful life that the Lord has allowed me to live, because I, I love to get silver linings out of it, yeah. is that first of all, first of all, that God is merciful. Yeah. He is merciful. He is merciful. And he was merciful to my son. Yeah. And then the second was that God is a prayer answering God, that God is faithful and that he would not leave you nor forsake you no matter what situation you're in or what you're going through. And I'm so, and I learned God as a father, you know, father is always there uh, for a daughter. And uh, God is my father and what, and he's just whatever I needed him to be at that time, he became yeah. and a provider, uh, just everything. So his grace and mercy towards my son. And then he's a righteous father that answered my prayers and was faithful to me. And I, I love him for that. Love Jesus. Yes. Love yes. him for that. All right. And then the final question, I want uh, each of you just to take a moment and I want you to talk to that mother or that wife or that sister that finds herself in the same situation. What would you say to her? Uh, Frankie, we'll start with you. I would say to uh, be encouraged. Um, the Bible says in Jeremiah um, 29 and 11, I know the thoughts I think towards you. Yes. They are good, not of evil, to bring you to an expected end. Uh, don't lose your expectation. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above yes. all you can ask or think. Eyes haven't, what eyes haven't seen or ear heard, neither has entered into your heart. Mm -hmm. What God got planned for you, boo. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Devin, we'll go with you next. Um, what would you say to uh, that wife that's there in that same situation? I would just say, um, don't give up on your loved one. Yeah. You know, you don't know how much a letter, you don't know how much um, hearing your voice and just knowing that there's somebody out there mm. that is pulling for them, yeah. somebody out there that loves them, somebody out there that's waiting on them, yeah. how that is helping get them through, mm. you know? Um, and so um I would, I would encourage you, don't be selfish. <laughs> you know, you, you have to be selfless yeah. when it comes to something, um, something as this. You know, you have to think about the one that is behind the bars, even though that 
we feel like all of us are 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 the ones doing the time. Yeah. You know, we're able to go to bed when we want to. Right. You know, we're able to eat when we want to, what we want to eat. Right. You know, you don't have to worry about looking over your shoulders. You know, you just have to think about what they're going through and just having someone that they know is there yeah. for them keeps them. So so don't give up on your loved one. Beautiful, beautiful. All right, Sheila, close us out. Uh, I would encourage every person, every parent to, um, again, uh, just like she said, don't give up on your children. Don't give up on your seed. Uh, be that support system for them as much as you possibly can. Uh, don't hold yourself hostage on anything negative that what you could have did, did or should have did. Uh, but just rejoice in the fact that you are uh, seeing another day and that you would be able to speak to them. It may not be the way you want to talk to them, whether uh, you have to send a text or email or you don't see them that often. But just know that God, he is aware of what's going on in your life. And I love the scripture that says out of Proverbs 11 and 21, the beef portion says, but the seed of the righteous shall be delivered. And I'll tell anybody, stand on the promises of God. If you can't stand on nothing else, stand on God's promises because the promises unto us are yes and amen. And always have a vision for your family. I have a vision for my family. Yeah. I have a vision. The Bible says without a vision, the people perish. I have a vision for my son. I have a vision for his future. I have a vision for myself, my grandchildren, my great grandchildren. You got to have a vision. So that's why I won't give up. I, I, I will not give up. And I'm grateful because uh, his word is true. And I encourage every parent, pray for you. Put yourself in a position where you can pray for your children. And God will honor the prayers of the righteous because they do avail much and they do come to pass. Amen. Amen. This was so powerful. This was amazing. Amazing. Ladies, I just want to thank you all so much for being on the show today. Um, I know we blessed somebody. It blessed me. <laughs> I know that, um, you know, the people that heard it, especially the ones that may be living through this, this was a blessing to them. It was an encouragement for them. Um, and I just want to thank you. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. Thank you for sharing your experience and your story. Um, and I just thank you guys. All right. You guys, that's all I have for now. I can't do no more. I, yeah, they done took me out. <laughs> okay, um, that's it. That's all we have for now. Be sure to join us next week for a new episode. In the meantime, I want you to be encouraged, be empowered, and be blessed. Peace, y'all.